Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here. Amen. Amen. You glad to be here? I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm just thankful for every opportunity to teach God's Word. And I just can't believe I can be used in this capacity, but I'm thankful for it and honored to be here this morning. We've got God's Word with us. And this will be our guide, our tool, and, and in this church we, we, we value at the highest place possible the Word of God. And I just have to say that because I just want, to know, I want us to know that this is our tool for referencing all that we know. And one of the most important things about you, and I believe this with all my heart, one of the most important things about me is, is what I think about God. And this is where we find the source. So the more we're in it, the more we understand it. Amen? Amen. I'm used to response crowds, okay? <laughs> so when we go to every morning in Piedra, every afternoon in Piedra, you know, there's, there's a higher frequency of response. So I'm, you, you know, it's okay with me. It's all right if you bring in the response, okay? So it's just so good to be here, and it's an honor, and I just want to get into the Word, and here we are this morning and I'm going to look at the life of Joseph, just a small portion of his life. I can't cover everything. There's so much about him. He's found in Genesis in chapters 37 through 50. The whole story of Joseph is there. It's worth reading at least two or three times a year. It's, a, it's about 30% of the book of Genesis. And story after story just seems to come right out of that passage and also application into your own life and walking with God. But this morning, I want to look at one portion of that story, and that's in Genesis chapter 41, and we're going to start in verse 46. So I'd like for you to open your Bibles and turn there, because there will be some other passages that I'll be using, and you might want to reference that as we go. But in verse 46, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, and which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities." And he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance and like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. In verse 50, the Bible says, Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now there's one thing we notice right here first off in this passage, and that is the age of Joseph. Young man, old man, what do you think? He's a young man, very young man, 30 years old. And here he is in the prime of his life. And he is a man 
that has gone through a lot. He's had a lot of knocks and bruises and all kinds of things have happened to him starting at the age of 17. He had a father who loved him. He had a father who nurtured him. He had a father who just adored him so much he gave him this multicolored coat, the Bible says. And it was a beautiful coat. I'm sure it was very fashionable at the time. Today we'd probably go, eh, you know. But back then, I'm sure everyone looked at that and said, wow, here comes Joseph. And he was only 17 years old. And then he gave this, uh, he, he gave his son, Jacob, gave his son Joseph some orders to go find his brothers out in the field. The Bible says that his brothers really, really just couldn't stand him. They hated him, in fact. And there was a lot of things that, that he did that kind of caused that. He had some dreams before this, and he was dreaming about his whole family bowing down before him, and that just kind of got the emotions stirred up in his brothers. And he had 10 brothers that really just couldn't say anything good about him. They just couldn't stand him. And here he is, innocently going through, I'm sure in this code of his, they could see him coming, and he's going out into this city where they, had, they were shepherding. And in that city, they were shepherding, and when they saw him coming, they said, ah, here comes Joseph. You know what? Why don't we just kill him? I mean, the hatred in the brothers' hearts grew to the place where they just wanted to do him in. And one of the brothers said, no, you know, let's not let the blood of his head be upon us. Let, let's, just, let's, just, let's just throw him in this pit. And secretly, he wanted to come back and, and rescue him. And while he came up, they took Joseph and threw him down into a pit. And I, just, I was just thinking about this this story, and I was thinking, what got these brothers to get to the point where they wanted to throw their little brother into a pit? And I don't know if you come from a big family, you might have experienced something similar to that. I don't know, uh, maybe with one of your siblings. But these guys really had this huge hatred towards their brother. And one of the reasons why they were so upset about him is because he was so righteous. And they weren't. And he, he was really the word of God against them. And, 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 and they were basically in their guilt. And he remained faithful to his father. That was another thing. They weren't interested in that. So here they are. They see him coming. They throw him into this pit. And there is Joseph thrown deep down into the pit. And I think this story is kind of familiar because the familiarity kind of rings a bell. And when we see Joseph in the life of Joseph, we see a picture of Jesus in the same light. And he is a Jew within Israel and faithful to his father like a good shepherd. That was Jesus. And the leaders of Israel despised him by the guilt he brought by his presence. That was Jesus. And so his brothers hated him, and the Bible teaches us that he hated them all the more. They just hated him. They hated his righteousness. They hated everything about him. They hated because he, he, he was going to be the one who would be over them one day, possibly. They actually didn't really believe that. They kind of laughed at that. And then here is their brother Joseph down in the pit. 
What do you do when people you love hate you and alienate you and throw you in a pit? What do you do? Something like that happens to you and it really, it really just doesn't go away. Maybe you've experienced something similar to what has happened here in the life of Joseph. I mean, through all the physical stuff, the knocks, the bruises, the bloody lips, being thrown into a pit, landing in the mud, possibly. And here he is in the darkness, alone, alienated from his brothers. That's not really, that's not really what hurts. That's just the physical stuff. But it's the emotional stuff that hurts, that goes deep. When someone is looking for love in the family or someone is looking for love in life and they have this idea of what that's all about and all of that just gets nixed. It just gets turned into uh, this feeling of doubt and loneliness and emptiness. Joseph wanted affirmation from his brothers, but instead he got jealousy and envy. They could have just been jealous and just left them there, but they didn't do that. They didn't leave it like that. They took it to the next level. And even the Bible says that they hated him all the more. I mean, their hatred was on top of hatred, and they threw him down in this pit. Can you imagine what it would feel like to be down in the pit? Rocks all around, hitting the sides, falling down, feeling alone, being humiliated and forgotten by your own family. That's where he was. He was and then they look, and they see a caravan coming. And while they were eating dinner, I just think of the jadedness of their hearts. They're sitting there eating dinner. I don't know how far away Joseph is from this scene, but they're eating dinner, and they, go, they see this caravan come, and they go, hey, maybe we can get some profit out of this. I mean, that's jaded. This is family. These are, these are his brothers. And they're sitting there eating. They go, let's get some profit out of this. Let's sell them for 20 pieces of silver. And that's what they did. And through all that, we can see that Joseph later on now is a slave. He's putting up with that humiliation. He's forgotten by his family, especially by his brothers. They make up a lie about him. They go back home and tell Jacob he died. They said, see his coat? They put blood all over it. They made him believe that he was dead. And all this happened to him. And now he's a slave. But Joseph survives it. He ends up actually doing pretty well in Potiphar's house. And the Bible says that Potiphar put him in charge of his household because the Lord was with him and gave him success in all that he did. So even through this time, this time of pain and this, this time where his spirit must have been broken, the time of alienation with his family, even through this whole time, we can see that God was still with him. And there was someone there in Potiphar's house who threw a curveball. I call it. The Bible didn't say that. What about them Dodgers? What about them? They're, they're doing pretty good, aren't they? I love baseball. I was just thinking about 
um, going to the baseball game with Jared and, the, and all the youth, I, I was just saying, wow, that'd be fun. I, I spent a lot of time watching baseball and, and just wasting my time on nine full innings of watching baseball. Usually I do something else while I'm, I got the TV on. And I don't think I've seen a whole game this year, but I have seen the highlights and watching baseball. And, and thinking about baseball, I was thinking about just that, that um, how the cameramen seem to zoom in on baseball players when they're not at their best. And usually they're spitting. There's, there's a lot of guys that are just spitters, man. They, they, that's what they do. And I played a lot of baseball and I did a lot of spitting. I remember spitting. It's just like one thing you do outside. But, but here, oh yeah, we're, let's get back into the lesson. <laughs> but, but just think about the spitting, and, and they zoom in on that, and these guys are always spitting, and they're itching and scratching in all the wrong places. And, and I'm like, okay, there's way too much time to film baseball. And we get to watch that. Uh, that happens in a whole nine innings. Sometimes 16. It just depends. <laughs> anyway, here's Joseph, and he's in jail. I mean, he is in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's, let's go back. Potiphar's wife liked him so much that she tried to seduce him, and, and he ran from her, and he leaves his, his cloak. He leaves he leaves his robe behind, and she uses that as a tool to lie to Potiphar, and Potiphar casts him down into jail. And now, not only is, has he been a slave, not only was he in the pit, now he, Joseph is in jail. And he's in this, this place where, where he is still, believe it or not, being used by God. And because he has the gift of interpreting dreams, he interprets the baker and the cupbearer, and the, his dreams come to pass just as he interpreted them. And um, all that happens. And then one day, Pharaoh calls on him. And that's where we are. 30 years have gone by. Pharaoh calls on him because he has need of that gift. The cupbearer revealed the fact, oh yeah, I remember this guy, this Hebrew young man, he's in jail. He told me how the dream went, and it, it went exactly as he predicted. Go get him. Pharaoh sends for him, and now Joseph is brought in front of Pharaoh, from the dungeon into the palace, right in front of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is the kind of person that most people wouldn't even look on, and they would bow before him, and here is Joseph. He has a place right there in the palace with Pharaoh, and that was the first 30 years of his life. All that happened, but when Pharaoh called him, this is what I want to get at, the cycle stopped. When Pharaoh called him from those first 30 years, from the pits of his life, from all the things that he went through, that cycle just stopped. Everything began to change. His life did not continue on that same trajectory. This brought Joseph out of the dungeon, standing right in the palace. I mean, I want you to understand, here he is, an inmate. And for the first time, 
He's walking in God's plan. He can see it probably clearly that, that God is using him for much more. He's rotten away in the prison, and now he's before Joseph. What an amazing story. And here he is, the cycle has stopped in his life. And the story goes on, and, and not only did it just stop, he became prime minister. He became a prince. He became the viceroy, so to say, and over all of Egypt. He became second in charge. I mean, Pharaoh just latched on to him. They just took him in, and they said, wow, this is the guy. He just interpreted my dream. He gave me a plan. He, he talked about a strategic plan. He brought him in. He gave him a signet ring. He gave him a gold chain around his neck. He gave him a company car. He, everyone that saw him got down on their knees. He gave him a wife. He gave him an Egyptian name. Here is Joseph just tremendously blessed coming out of the prison and all of a sudden just the royal treatment. It had to be God. It had to be God involved in his life doing this with God's plan intended. And in that day, we can say truly that God blessed him. And God smiled on him. And he brought them to this place where his plan would be fulfilled. In verse 47, the Bible says, during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. In verse 48, it, it talks about Joseph storing up all the crops. In verse 49, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. It was immense. The abundance that came from the hand of God, the, the abundance of the years of plenty was overwhelming. He stopped taking an account of it. He totally quit keeping record. He said, I don't need that anymore. We got so much. Verse 50, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On bore them to him. Two sons. All the abundance that was coming in before him, all the great responsibility that, that he had on his shoulders of overseeing this. God putting Joseph, the administrator, in a place where he could be used by his hand. All that abundance, and he gives them two sons. I mean, in, in Mexico, we say, that's cream on your tacos, I mean, he was getting cream on his tacos. He was getting more overflowing abundance than he could possibly imagine. In verse 51, Joseph called the name of, firstborn, of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. Now here, he calls his firstborn Manasseh. Think of all the previous pain in his life. And in this verse, it says, God made him forget it. God made him forget it. Every time he called out his son's name, it was a reminder of what God was doing in his life. Every time he said, 
Manasseh. He was thinking, forget about it. And I was just thinking that all this stuff that he went through, the pit, Manasseh, forgotten. All the mean, cruel things his brother did to him, his brothers did to him on the way. Manasseh, ah, forget about it. Just forget about it. Can you say that with me? Manasseh, you didn't do it. Manasseh. All right. God made them forget. Sold into slavery. Forgotten. Manasseh. Potiphar's wife, who lied about me and accused me of rape. Forgotten. Manasseh. All the cruelty done to me. Forgotten. He was forgetting about it. And God gave him that. God blessed him in abundance. God helped him to get over it. And that's basically what it's saying here. It's saying, just get over it. Manasseh, get over it. How does God help you get to the place of forgetting all the stuff in your past? I think there's a lot of stories through the life of Joseph. I think this is one story that just kind of just leaps off the page. But how does God get us to that place? You've got to get to that place. As a Christian walking in the light of Christ, walking in the abundance and the blessings of Jesus Christ, he brings us to a place where we can say, forget about it. He brings us to a place where we can say, Manasseh, I get it. It's so much better. Just forget about it. Get to that place where you don't have to hear an apology in order to forget and move on. Get to that place. Unless you're a school teacher. I'm a school teacher. We always make the kids apologize. Okay, maybe you're a parent. But, but get to that place in your Christian walk where, where I can get over it. I can, I can forget about it. Even if they don't apologize. Even if they don't say I'm sorry, I'm just going to get over it because the grace of God is so overwhelming in my life. Everything I have, everything I, I have in Jesus is so profound and it moves me to a place where I can say, I can get over it. I can get over this. Joseph didn't name his son Pitfall. <laughs> Time for dinner. He didn't say, prisoner. He didn't say, she lied about me. That's not what he named his son. He named his son Manasseh, which means forgetfulness. He named him forgetfulness to remind him that God can take the worst situation and change it to the most blessed. He was really in hell. He was down in the pit. He was going through this, probably wondering, God, God, what are you doing? And through all that time, he still remained faithful to God. C.S. Lewis described hell in his book, The Great Divorce. He described hell as a place where no one forgets anything. Remembering every slight 
every cruel exchange of words, every wrong ever done them, everybody is utterly unforgiving. C.S. Lewis calls that hell. And that's the pits. I remember when I was 13 years old, sobbing, wailing, gasping for air, crying more because my mom and dad left one another. My dad, my mom kicked my dad out of the house because he was with another woman. Still coming home. And they were both extremely upset. Our family was torn apart. And when I realized it as a 13-year-old, and I didn't know all the details, but I realized it as a 13-year-old, it just hit me. It, I mean, it, it, it changed me. It, it hurt me so deeply. I just wanted our family to get back to normal. That's all I wanted. I wanted us to sit at the table and, and, and eat dinner again. I just wanted it to be the same. I just loved what we had, and I didn't want to lose it. But that never happened. And as the years went by, through those years, I began to hang on to a lot of resentment. And that resentment turned to bitterness. And I would say I was angry, and I didn't even know why I was angry. But I was angry at that situation, and I was especially angry at my dad because he wasn't in the house anymore. He wasn't there. And then it was solidified later on that the divorce came and everything, and then, and then my whole world was just falling apart. What do you do when your dreams are in a pit? They begin to diminish. They begin to fall apart. They begin to just just right before your own eyes say, there's no hope here. Well, I hung on to that for years and it did change the way I was. It shaped me in my earlier years. And then I met someone, a Christian counselor, a mentor friend of mine who, who said, man, this ain't right. This is not good. I'm hearing you and there's a lot of things that just isn't going on that's right in your life. And he helped me, and he worked me through some steps to get to a place where I could say, wow, I have totally not forgiven my dad. And my, my relationship with my father was just like non-existent for years because of that. And he helped me walk through that and to the point where I, I forgave him. I, I just said, I just got to get over it. It doesn't matter where he's at in this picture right now. What, what really matters is I just need to release that and get over it. Notice what the next verse is. In verse 52, the name of the second son he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Ephraim. Okay, let's say that. Ephraim! Okay, one more time. Ephraim! I'd be calling him to dinner too. So Ephraim, what does that mean? It means this doubly 
fruitful life that comes my way. God made it happen. He made fruitfulness. He made abundance come into my life. So he reminded himself by naming his son Ephraim. Manasseh, Ephraim, two great blessings. I forgave my father, by the way. I forgave him. I got over it. And I can look him today in the eyes and say, Dad, I love you. And I accept you and I care for you. I've given him back some things that weren't there in place in my earlier years. And three years ago, or it's been more than three years ago, it's been about seven years ago now, where all my other two brothers, all three of us got together with my dad, and we sat around a campfire one night in Idaho, and we came to Jesus that night and got real with one another on how we felt and worked through it even more. And my brother, who never went through that process, cried and wept, and he said, Dad, I love you. And we wiped that out. We obliterated that from our lives. And now I have this relationship with my dad that I can say is healthy and whole and nurturing, and I'm thankful for it. I can't get enough of it. Because when forgetfulness happens, fruitfulness comes in. And when forgetfulness is there, God begins to bring an abundance. And that's what happened in my life. He, he this, this biblical counselor worked me through what I needed to know in order to forgive my dad to receive the abundance and the overflow of God. I say it like this. I say he helped me to love and to receive the love of Christ. He helped me to let in the full grace of God in me and realize it's by his mercy that I'm here. And that's it. And it's because of that point in my life where I held on to bitterness and hatred. So I want you to notice when fruitfulness comes, it always comes after forgetting And the question is, is is there something in your life right now that tends to hold you back? And you said, I can't get my finger on it. I want you to think about the relationships in your life and the places where you've been. Something may have happened where you say, man, I just need to forget about it. If it's clear to you right now, you know it's real. And God's speaking to you right now. He's saying, get over it. If you want the full abundance of God's grace in your life, you want to receive that, you want to walk in that, you want God in your life in that place, open yourself up and just let it go. Forget about it and receive God's grace. And then that dream comes sailing back from the pit into the palace, into the life where it becomes a reality in your life that good things can happen. God can cause good things to happen even when it seems like my life is a curse. God can make things happen and he can make the impossible possible. 
In verse 56 through 57, it says, so when the famine had spread over all the land, and I want you to see this, it's in your Bibles, it's not on the, on the board. Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Do you see how God used Joseph? He used him even further into the next level. Look where he took Joseph from this pit, from this prison, from, from all the things that he went through to this place of, of royalty. And now he's administrating and now he is in charge of feeding not only Egypt, but the nations. The dream is much bigger, much greater than he can imagine. It goes much deeper than we can imagine. And the blessing of God comes into the hearts of people and it expands and multiplies and goes farther and far reaching than we can ever imagine. And here we see God's plan being used and the administrator Joseph being used as a tool for God to bring salvation to the earth. And in that, God used Joseph to bring bread of life to a world that was needy and starving. It was beyond his dream. He didn't see himself doing that. God placed him there. That's, that's Ephraim. That's the abundance. That's the fruitfulness in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul prays this prayer. He, he wants the people of Ephesus to get it. He wants them to understand so much what God can do. And in the end of his prayer, he says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 This is what God can do. It's far beyond our thoughts, far beyond what we can ask. The love of Christ goes further and deeper and wider than we can ever imagine. This is not pie in the sky. This is say, try God out and forget about it and move on and let the abundance of God's grace come into your life in such an immense way that it changes who you are. That's called transformation in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It changes us. It, 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 it molds us and shapes us more like Christ. It gets us into a place where we can be used by God as an instrument for his good. And we say like Joseph, it's because of God. It's because God did this in my life. It's because God changed me and he made me in such a way that I could do what I do for him and for his glory. The abundance is there. It's waiting for everyone. But Manasseh comes before Ephraim. Forgetfulness comes before blessing. 
And Joseph goes on. His brothers, remember his brothers who hated him, are now in Egypt. And his brothers love him now for taking care of him. But they think that Joseph is going to come back and just basically get even because Jacob, their father, has died. So now Joseph has the opportunity to get even. But Joseph is thinking something so far different from the brothers because the brothers probably in their walk with God, hasn't got, they haven't really understood it yet. But in Genesis chapter 50, verses 20 through 21, Joseph says this to his brothers. Now remember, his brothers are thinking, man, he's going to do us in and he has the power to do so. But Genesis 50, 20, and 21, Joseph says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Ha, Joseph got it. He saw God's plan just unfolding before his eyes. He got it. And here we sit today. We're drawn here by the Spirit of God. It is by God, his mercy, his grace that we are ushered into his presence to even receive the salvation that we have. And God takes care of our sinfulness. And it's by his power that we are walking in the kingdom of God. It is God's plan in our lives. You say, well, Joseph's a big character. No, you're a big character. God looks at you the same way he looks at Joseph. God, God wants you to have the abundance like Joseph. He wants you to walk in, the, in, in, in this forgiveness and this love and this grace, just like Joseph, just like Joseph had with his brothers. Why would we do that? How do we know that God's working in our lives? Romans 5.8 gives us a clue, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's God's plan. He wanted to take care of the sin problem before it even happened in our lives. He wanted to take care of us and bring us into his grace before it even happened. He did that for everyone. In 2 John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says it's not only for them, but it was for the whole world. He wanted the whole world to know that he had a plan, a righteous plan, to bring us back into reconciliation before him. So his death on the cross took care of the problem. The sin in our lives have been broken. You think you were in the pit. You are now in the presence of the Holy One. And he has taken care of that problem. We stand forgiven. I stand in the abundance of Christ my King. God has given me that. And I relish in it. Don't you? In Psalm 103.12, he took my sins from me 
And it says in Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove the transgressions from us. He's serious about removing the sin problem from us, so serious that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. In this verse, he wiped out my sin. He obliterated it. I don't have to stand before God and wonder anymore. I can stand before God in his presence and know. And when I forget, he give me, he's given me through all this the power to forget the things in my life that I believe are keeping me in that cycle. And because I, what I see here, the cycle is broken. The cycle is broken in my life, and I can look at someone and say, yeah, I love you. I, I, I know what love is. I've forgiven someone. I don't guard anything against you anymore. I don't hold on to grudges anymore. I get it because, because of what Christ did for me. I understand it now. I get it because he went to the cross for me, and now I can say, wow, I'm ready. I'm ready to forgive you. I'm ready to let go of all that. I'm ready to say, Manasseh. I'm ready to say, Ephraim, come. Manasseh, forget it. I'm over it. Joseph had this. He got it. He got it. Romans 8.28 was written thousands of years after Joseph. But Joseph was a living testimony to Romans 8.28, where it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. All of us have a purpose in God. He's calling us to that. The good, the bad, the ugly, the hurts, the pains, the palace, the good things, the royalty, the abundance. In Ephesians 2, he says he, 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 he saves us by his grace and he gives us a place right next to God. He saves us, and then he gives us a place. In John, in 1 John, it says we are coming out of death and into life. Most of the time we think of it from life to death. I'm wasting away. He saves us and brings, him, brings us into his presence. And Joseph, he had it. God works all things together for good. So we can let go of it and move on in our lives. If you need prayer, we're going to have prayer teams. I just want to pray right now, but I was just thinking about the ability to, to just bless someone and move on, right? That's what Joseph did. And, and that's what God gives us. We walk, we walk with Christ. He brings us to that place where we can just love people. The Bible says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. We love God with everything we got, and we love our neighbor as ourself. He wants us to love. He wants us to care for. He wants us, he wants us to, to be there for people. The relationships that we have do make a difference. 
And then the abundance comes, and that abundance within all that just it comes in sometimes like a flood to help our families, to help the people around us and in our work. If you have any reason to, to come to one of the prayer teams, go and pray and, and think about maybe there's something in my life right now I just need to say, I'm done with that. I want to get over that. I don't want that to damage me anymore. I don't want my heart to grow cold. I just want to move on. Go to, go to someone and pray about it. Talk to someone about it. And there may be someone here this morning that wants to come to Jesus. You, you're saying, man, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to, to come and receive what God offers for me. Take that step this morning and let us know about it. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, you are amazing, powerful, awesome God. Every day of our lives, Father, we stand in your presence. You know the good and the bad. You know what happens to us. And yet, Father, according to Romans 8, 28, we're in your presence. We're part of you, of your plan, because we love you, Father. Uh, and, and, and we want to grow in that love. And we want to receive the bounty of, of knowing you, Father. Whatever pit there is in our lives, Father, whatever it may be, whatever thing that we're dealing with that, that we just need to get behind us and move on, help us, Father, help us to move on. Because there's stuff, there's baggage, there's things, Father. There's, there's, there's things that we had to put up with, Father. Help us to move on. And just love you, God. Love you all the more. And love our neighbors, love our the people in our lives, our, our wives, our families, our, our husbands, Father, just, just to really, just to get out there, Father, and, and say, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Manasseh and Ephraim is part of who I am right now. I, I believe that, Father, and you are in it all the way, and I'm in you. Thank you, God. Thank you. It's through Jesus I pray.